UINs is brought to you by Bet365, the world's favourite online betting company. By downloading the Bet365 app, you can access both pre-match and in-play markets, along with instant match updates for all games. The Bet365 Bet Builder also allows you to make personalised bets via the app, so you can bet on multiple scenarios and create your own bet with unique odds right there in your hands. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only. Please gamble responsibly. Hello, this is You Irons, the West Ham United podcast from the good people at The Athletic. I'm Sam Delaney. I'm joined by The Athletic's West Ham correspondent, Roshane Thomas. Hello, Roshane. Hi, Sam. And at last, we are celebrating a victory. In fact, I think since we began You Irons, is this the first time we've actually responded to a victory? Because, hang on, we beat at the beginning of the, at, at New Year, Moyes' first game. We beat Bournemouth 4 0. We hadn't started then, had we? And then then we beat Gillingham, right? And we hadn't and that we hadn't started then. And then I think that's the last time yeah. we won a game. <laughs> yeah. So this is weird. I've never spoken to you, Rashane, on you irons yeah. in the after the afterglow of a victory. Yeah. Feels good, doesn't it? It feels great. I also want to say it feels great to be you know, some comfortable seats, not in a stairwell somewhere. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, everything's got improved about the podcast this week. <laughs> Usually, yeah, we're on a bit of a shaky line. You're often at an away game and yeah. we're speaking remotely. Um, but we've decided to do it in a sophisticated way yep. in the actual studios of The Athletic. Yep. And uh, it's uh, everything feels right in the world, doesn't it? And very quickly, I want to give a shout out to uh, Dylan Dench because he DM'd me. I was like, where's the podcast? I listened to it. Like, really? Yeah. So give That's a, nice. A massive shout out to Dylan Dench. We've got a listener. Yep. Um, that feels really positive. That feels like everything's going in the right direction with this podcast. Saturday, uh, a fantastic performance. Just what we needed. Just what we'd dared to hope for. But to be honest, the way I was feeling about West Ham, I didn't, I didn't know how it would go. I thought, of course, we could beat Southampton. I thought we had the players for it. And I knew that we'd perform well against Liverpool. But the inconsistency of this side, it, it, you know, is amazing. Um, how did you feel? Did you did you feel that we were going to get a result on Saturday? To be honest, prior to the match, I was a bit think I was feeling I'm not really sure. You know, Southampton we beat them in the return game, but I was thinking they, they could be us. And I feel like th- the biggest difference was uh, Bowen being the starting eleven. Mm. I feel like Hala, Antonio, Fornals, they matched his work rate, mm. and it was a, it made a big impact. And I feel like that's one of the biggest reasons why we won that match. What you mean, because of Bowen's work rate, it gave the other front players a kick up the arse? Because they're thinking, if this guy is doing it from the championship, we need yeah. to do it as well. We need to replicate some of the performance. Right, so you saw a difference. Yep. I mean, certainly Haller's performance was a lot more committed than we've seen yep. in recent times, wasn't it? I mean, that Rabona was something else. Yes. That Rabona was something yeah. else. You sort yeah. of thinking, like, Haller would have done that like a month ago. So that's telling you a lot about West Ham's confidence, confidence levels, as well. Yeah, yeah like, I think I'm right in saying he won like 14 aerial, aerial battles. His yeah. goal, the way he rose above Alex McCarthy, like you could tell he's getting frustrating player, isn't he? Because he's one of those players you think, oh, he's got the lot. Yeah, maybe not pace. Yeah, but but he's certainly got enough to be a very good Premier League striker and get more goals than he's been getting. But sometimes 
you know, he's he's had a long period where his head's dropped, and and obviously the you know the other players around Antonio being back and threatening his starting place as well was a, must have made a big difference. But I thought it was a big difference playing two up top, uh, yeah. Ale and Antonio, because throughout the whole season, West Ham fans have been like, we need to give Ale support. That's the reason why he's struggling because when he plays up top by himself, like it doesn't work. So we had pace around him, Antonio for now was boring. So that's why we saw the best out of Ale as well. I thought, when I saw the lineup, I thought. I'm delighted that yeah. he's picked such a positive lineup. I mean, it's the most attacking lineup I think anyone, him or Pellegrini, have picked all season, right? But I was uh, I was surprised too, and I did think, well, this is a big gamble. It's a massive roll of the dice. In fact, it's the last thing you'd expect from David Moyes, right? <laughs> because it's, it was a big roll of the dice. This yeah. was the must-win game, you know, the, the most winnable game in a run of tough fixtures. Yeah. And we are not good at keeping clean sheets. You always think, whatever the result, we're definitely going to concede at least once. And I thought, he's really thrown the kitchen sink at them here. Yeah. It's going to leave us very exposed. Well, the first time I saw the team sheet, I was thinking, oh, thank heavens, there's no three at the back, there's no five at the back. Yeah, Literally just four at the back, and we can get the extra man in the field or in the forward area so we can attack. Because we saw against Liverpool, obviously barring the team mistakes, that we were good for last part of the game. Yeah. So Southampton, we were we basically that was Liverpool performance without the mistakes. But he changed the team again, yeah. and that was a surprise as well because the Liverpool performance was great. Yeah. We spoke straight after the game on on the last episode, you Wines, and we thought, well, you know, he's he's got to go with the same team. I mean, we said yeah. he'll, he'll go with the same lineup apart from Surcheck might yeah. be injured and then he'll, he'll bring someone else in but actually it was quite a lot of changes Four, yeah. four Nails was selected yeah. uh, having not even made the bench two games ago yeah. um, so that was a big surprise two up front Snodgrass benched yeah. big surprise because obviously for a lot of fans he's been our best player since the turn of the year yeah. um, so it was it was interesting it was bold but I suppose it paid off and you know what it shows the, uh, the depth we have now because at the, at the start of Moise's reign, our bench was terrible. I mean, a lot of kids from the academy. I mean, it's good to see young kids involved, but they haven't they haven't got the uh, experience to be involved in a relegation battle. So what, Lanzini on the bench, previously four now to the squad. Anderson. Anderson, yep, Anderson on the bench. And yeah. bear in mind, what, Suchek's injured, Yarvalenko yeah. sort of come back. So Yeah, Zabaleta was on the bench because Fredericks is out. So we've effectively got a third right back yep. who looks now as if he could make the position his own. Yep. He got in there because of Fredericks' injury. Zabaleta obviously is reaching a stage where he struggles against a lot of wingers. And Gakia, who, to be honest... I had not heard of the bloke until the night. He, I think his debut was against Liverpool in early Jan. And I hadn't heard his name. I remember arriving at the ground thinking, who's this fella? And uh, he gets better and better, doesn't he? I know you wrote a piece about him this week. What's his yeah. story? I mean, his story. He played, well, he grew up in Deptford. So that's South, South East London. And he... Sounds a bit Millwall to yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, no, affiliate, no affiliations with Millwall. All right, good. So you're playing for this team called Ballers Football Academy. Yeah. So it's, by, it's run by a guy called Jamie Mehmet, and his brother used to play for West Ham's Academy, in fact, right. Billy Mehmet. This is for like a throwback for like the guys in the 90s who may know his name. Yeah. So, yes, yeah, so I tracked him down. He said Jamie was a winger at first. Right. So he transitioned as a right back at West Ham. So I thought, okay, let me see if I can find someone who coached him at West Ham. And that's when I tracked down Danny Seal, who coached him for the under-17 to under-18. I spoke about, you know, being so proud of Jeremy, his progress, and how he can make he can become a top right-back. That's what he was saying. Because I've covered quite a few under-23 games this season. And the thing about Jeremy is he wasn't actually... He was behind Ben Johnson. Yes. 
Ben Johnson, had he not been injured, I reckon he would have been right back. Is it, so is he, because he played left back for us last season. Yeah, he's versatile. He can play left back, centre back and right back. And he was the hotly tipped yeah. fella, wasn't he, from the youth team? And I forgot what game it was because I covered the match. I think it may have been against Newcastle in 23. And he suffered a hamstring injury. This is around his December time. Mm. And he hasn't been back. He's still... Yeah, from that injury. So I feel Jeremy, sorry for him because so he's sorry. looking from the sidelines, yeah. thinking I was on the verge of the first team, yep. and now someone else has taken my place. But these things happen, don't they? But credit to Jeremy because he's been great since he's. Since I he's think been it's great. Team. Yeah, I think it's one of the good. You know, it's been a tough old few months, but his emergence from nowhere. Yeah. I think now the way things are going is Fredericks gets fit again. I'm not sure whether he's going to get back in the team. Yeah, and the thing is, right, a lot of fans are like Fredericks. He's great. I mean. He runs, 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 but going back. You know, Fredericks, he reminds me of that guy in school who was good at athletics and good at football, what he thought. Let me just become a footballer instead. That's yeah. who Fredericks reminds me of. Yeah, yeah. So I like him, but I just feel like... Yeah, because he was a 100 metres runner, wasn't he, Fredericks? Oh, right, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think, I think he's one of the, like, you know, I think he's one of the fastest players in the Premier League. Yeah. He's right up there with, with Salah and all, all the fastest players. And you do see that because when his, his best form of defending is when... He does a last-minute intervention. When someone's cleaned through, he will appear yeah. from nowhere. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, he creates those situations himself quite a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? Another frustration with Fredericks, he keeps getting injured. Yeah, he's because just, he's fast, yeah. a lot of these fast players keep doing their hamstrings yeah. and stuff, don't they? Yeah. So I think it could be Nagaki's place now. Yeah, I, I reckon it will be. So, uh, uh, absolutely fantastic day. We were well worth the win. We could have had more goals. Bowen, man of the batch, do you yeah, think? 100% yeah, 100% man of the match. Um, weird, uh, you know, what, what, what sense do you get about David Moyes' attitude towards Bowen? Because I was really surprised that we bought him and everyone was excited by that. And then Moyes said some really strange things. First, he said, oh, you know, we, these boys from the championship, you can't just throw them in. And I thought... Mate, you've just spent 25 million on the kid, yeah. right? And you're sort of talking him down. Yeah. And I thought, well, maybe it's psychological gameplay. Doesn't you know he wants to sort of protect him? And then he then he went a step further. He went, listen, right? We can't expect some kid from the championship to be our savior, yeah. something like that. And I thought this is going beyond like I'll protect you, mate. So the so the burden of expectation isn't too high, yeah. and it's actually yeah. <laughs> you're on the verge. Next week he's going. Go, Thing is, lads, he's shit. <laughs> no, I thought bloody hell. He's, what's he doing here? Yeah. What do you, I mean, he's picked him now. He's had yeah. a tremendous impact. So presumably, he's going to stay in the team for the next game. What do you think Moyes thought, was worried about? I feel like something has been building up because the Man City game, where we were, I think it was like one-one at the break. I was like to Moyes, do you regret not bigging Bowen on? Because we were in the game, we could have, you know, had a chance. He's like, no, oh, no, he's done his time. He's done his time. I thought, okay, fair enough. Liverpool game. Bowen came on, I think like the 80th minute, and he had that great chance. Brilliant chance. And, and did well, saying, I thought. It was, you know, he, he kept his calm yeah. and did well. So Very like, similar chance to the one that he scored. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I was like to Moyes, I mean, Bowen's looking good. They can start him next game. Oh, he's still his time, he's still his time. So the press conference before the um, Southampton game, I was like, listen, this like, Bowen needs to start. <laughs> Bowen <laughs> needs to start. You lost your temper. Yeah. So... It wasn't myself. Another reporter asked him, and he was like, "Listen, we can't rely on this guy from the whole from the championship to be our savior." And we're thinking, like, you you spend like how much money on this guy? Like, you know what I mean? Like, he needs to be in right now. So obviously, when I saw the team sheet, I thought, okay, Bowen starts. This yeah. this is great. 
And obviously, he showed in his performance why he deserves to be in the starting well, level. I just wonder whether or not he see, but uh, Moyes approaches away games drastically differently to home games. Yeah. Some managers just think you got a winning team, stick with it. Yeah. I'm not. I won't be at all surprised if he changes the team again. I don't mean he's picked the same eleven twice in a row. He's rarely picked the same formation twice in a row. Yeah. Despite that performance against Southampton, I'd be very surprised if he doesn't change again against Arsenal. Uh, but I hope that doesn't involve Bowen being dropped you know for what? like, you know, maybe Snodgrass. I'll, or... I'll be disappointed if he changes the, the, the team for the Arsenal game on Saturday. Yeah, so will I'll I, but I'm just saying mm. I, won't, I won't be surprised yeah. if he does. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if Snodgrass comes back. I don't know what the situation with Surchek's fitness is. He's out for three weeks. Oh, three hip, weeks. Yeah, hip injury. Oh, okay. So that yeah. decision's taken away. Yeah. Then. So. Well, we'll wait and see, but um, I suddenly feel a lot better. And I, I don't know about you, but I feel a, a, a lot more optimistic about these fixtures that we had thought were a very tough run. We got Arsenal, Chelsea and Spurs coming up. Suddenly, and I'll regret saying this, I'm sure, <laughs> but I'm thinking, yeah, I mean, they're all playing badly yeah. at the moment. I think we've got a chance in all of these games now. I agree. Because in fact, the whole run, I would say Wolves at the moment seems like the toughest fixture of all of those. Because, of course, the other three being London fixtures, you always feel like yeah. you've got that extra bit of chance, you know? And you know what? Arsenal, I, I think they're still trying to find their identity under Arteta. Yeah. So I feel like we can go over and use that title advantage. As you mentioned, the Wolves game will be tough. I feel like it'll be the toughest yeah. of the next three games. We can beat Tottenham. Definitely. I definitely think we can beat Tottenham. Definitely. I mean, again, they're still trying to find their way under Mourinho, so... I don't think morale's good in the Tottenham camp. I don't. I don't. And I think ours could be on the up. And I think Chelsea look vulnerable in every game. I mean, they were behind against Bournemouth at the weekend, weren't they? Yeah. And just for just for viewers that don't really know about the behind the scenes at uh, West Ham, after the match, they were playing Whitney Houston. I want to dance with somebody. So, so but, you were down there yeah. in the mix near the changing near the room, change room. So absorbing the post-match euphoria. Correct. I didn't see any dance moves, unfortunately, but... I am a massive Whitney Houston fan. I don't know about you. And I'm really delighted to hear that, that that's what they're seeing because it is upbeat music. To me, it's a, if that if their state of mind is reflected by that song, yeah. then we got no problem with morale whatsoever. 100%, 100%. I wonder so. who stuck it on. I bet Who's it wasn't... I, I don't know. Was that Balletta? No. Nah. I, I reckon Antonio has moves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Antonio... Yeah, well, we've seen him. He's the only one oh, yeah. who we have seen regularly yes. dance. Yes. He's the only one who we know for a fact can dance. So, all right, it's probably him. Yeah. But they're all so young. That's why I was surprised. I mean, yeah. you know, they're they're all like your age, Shane. I mean, how yeah. familiar are you with Whitney, with the work of Whitney Houston? I mean, you know the hits. Yeah, right? I know the hits. I know. I yeah. want to dance to somebody. I know that song. Your love is my love. Great yeah, song. That song. Yep. We're not. Listen, I don't want to take up too much time on this podcast with a discussion of Whitney Houston's output. But just briefly, the song "So Emotional" is one of the happiest and most exhilarating pop songs I think ever written. So try that. That's just a little tip. Each week, I might give I'm you. A I'm, not, I'm not a fan of. So I'm not a fan of love songs. You know, love songs. Nah, it's not a love song, mate. Oh, okay. I mean, I know it sounds like one, so emotional, <laughs> but it's actually, it's uh, just an upbeat sort of pop pop song. You know, it'll make you dance. Anyway, moving on. You also, there was the big protest. In fact, it was the biggest expression of the current protest against the board before the game on Saturday. You covered that too. Tell us about that. Yeah, so the um, the meeting point was at Plasto. So everyone had to get over for quarter past 12 
And funny enough, on my way there, I saw this subscriber called Alex Taylor. And he was like, are you a Shane Thomas from The Athletic? I'm thinking, oh, my cover's been blown. <laughs> my cover's been blown. He was like, you were like, yeah, here you go. I carry signed photos with me for situations <laughs> yeah. just like this. Here's my autograph. Yeah. So, yeah, so we went up and there was a pub. I think, I think it's called the Victoria Pub. And everyone was there just having a good vibe, talking about why, why they're going to protest. And then after that, we walked up. I think it's past the uh, green... Uh, it's through a park I can't remember, can't remember what it's called but through a park and everyone's just protesting and singing chants about the board and all in all it was a great turnout I mean over like 3,000 people I'd say was there and they're doing it well this time aren't they mm. because there's a togetherness about it yeah. last season there was a lot of divisions there was different sectors approaching the process different ways the people who were organising this I think they brought in a lot of people who were I don't think there was people that many people who were against the idea of protest. But I think some people, including myself, I wasn't that involved in it and I wasn't that convinced by it last time around. I was there for the, uh, the other protests after, before the Everton game. That was like the first one. And then this one, I'd say, better organised, more momentum with this one as well. And then, um, I remember like midway through the walk, there was a guy called, um, do you remember that game against Burnley? Where the, the yeah, the guy ran on the pitch, yeah. Paul, I can't remember his last name, but his first name was Paul, known as Bubbles. Yeah. And then midway through, he he's, got... He's, I've, I've been in contact with him and he says he'll come on the pod oh, okay. soon. So hopefully yeah. we'll get to yeah, chat to him. I spoke to him after yeah. protest as well, yeah. really cool guy. So midway through, he just got up on this, like, this, this car and started singing like for, uh, Forever Blowing Bubbles. Yeah. And everyone joined in and started singing it. It was nice to give us that, that, yeah. that moment. I mean, but yeah, whose car was it? I mean... Um, do you know what I mean? If yeah. it's not his own car, <laughs> like, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm right behind it. If it's my car, I'd yeah. come out and I'd be like, mate, I'm sort of behind the whole, like, you know, yeah. bored out thing. But at the same time, you're on my car. I mean, come on. Couldn't you climb up a tree or something instead? Do you know what I mean? But anyway, yeah. that aside, well done, everyone. Yeah. Thanks to our good pals at beer52.com. You have the opportunity to sip eight delicious, painstakingly sourced craft beers from around the world. All you need to do is go to beer52.com slash irons and pay the postage of £4.95. And, as if that wasn't enough, as a listener to you irons, you'll get two extra free beers. Beer52 are beer pioneers. They travel the globe to find the best and most interesting beer from the very best craft breweries. They are now the world's most popular craft beer discovery club. Each month, Beer 52 deliver a case with a different theme. Themes have included Germany, Korea, Belgium, South Africa, California, New Zealand and many more. As an independent UK company, Beer 52 are also passionate about the UK craft beer scene. The beauty of Beer 52 is that you can leave any time. The power is in your hands. Your case will also include the award-winning craft beer magazine, Ferment, and a beery snack is thrown in as well. Just go to beer52.com slash irons to get your case free. And don't forget, right now, you irons listeners get two extra free beers. The thing about this protest is, I don't know about how you felt, but, you know, last year and in the past, I've sort of thought, mm, yeah, I'm in two minds. It's very easy to play on the board for everything. And, you know, and they got us this stadium deal, which is an incredible deal. And transfer windows come and, and we, we we keep breaking our transfer record and we spent serious money on a number of players. That's what I thought in the past. I didn't think, I wasn't right behind them. But I think what has really focused everyone's thoughts now and why there's more people, including people who might have previously been less militant, getting drawn into this, is that 
it's really simple. They go, it's 10 years since they took over and it really focuses your mind. You think, what's been achieved in 10 years? They came into the club. We were in a lot of debt post the Icelandic biscuit billionaires <laughs> and they and they bailed us out. Although they say they bailed us out of that. As I understand it, what they did was loan the club a lot of money, which they're charging quite a lot of interest on. But that aside, they did the deal for the ground, which obviously they had their eye on right from the beginning and everything hinged on that. They got the best property deal in the history of London when we basically got a state-of-the-art stadium for free. Flogged Upton Park, right? Okay, there's a huge number of people who didn't want to leave Upton Park. There were some of us, including myself, who, who you know knew we'd miss it but thought this could be a bright future. After 10 years, you sort of think, where have we come? Where have we really come? What 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 we've delivered is a, a match day experience that's a lot worse than it once was. That doesn't have the atmosphere that really attracted a lot of us to be West Ham fans in the first place. Was I now realise was as much about Upton Park as it was about the players on the pitch, right? So we've lost that, and in return, we've got nothing. In return, irrespective of how much you say you spent on players like Felipe Anderson or Sebastian Hilaire. We are a team who are struggling against relegation, just like we were 10 years ago and just like we were 20 years ago and 30 years ago, yeah. right? So we're the same club, arguably worse in, in a lot of ways than we were 10 years ago. Plus the experience as a fan of going to West Ham is significantly worse. Like it's a less enjoyable day out. There was a time when I could enjoy going to West Ham even if we were losing because I loved the sights and the sounds and the atmosphere and the people of Upton Park. There is no sight or sound or atmosphere to enjoy about the experience of going to London Stadium. And I don't know a single person who says there is. And um, I find it a bit depressing sometimes. And I just think 10 years, that is... So their best defence as a board is that they've been incompetent. They've tried their best. Their intentions are in the right place. But unfortunately, the facts speak for themselves and you have been incompetent because you have moved us to a a worse place and the team have declined, right? And you've spent loads of money in the process. So, But that's their best excuse. Their worst excuse, the worst explanation is actually they they don't really care and they're making money out of it because they're charging interest on loans. Karen Brady is getting huge pay rises despite the fact that, as far as I can see, the club is to a large degree mismanaged. And people say, well, it's not like Mike Ashley at Newcastle, who is publicly contemptuous of the club and its fans. But there's a lot of West Ham fans who say, well, actually, at least there's an honesty to that. What sickens a lot of West Ham fans is that you've got Golden Sullivan in their claret and blue crushed velvet jackets, right? Uh, David Gold going on about how he grew up in in, in Green Street and, and played for West Ham youth team and David Sullivan saying how it runs through his veins and he's going to let his sons inherit the club and you know and they love the club that seems a little bit like we're being hoodwinked or patronised or manipulated by a couple of shysters <laughs> I'm not saying that's what they are no. I'm saying that's how it appears to some fans because, and I don't know what the truth is, but I'm trying to explain the way I see it as a fan is that people think, well, Mike Ashley's just saying, yeah, I'm a businessman. This isn't really working out. So it is what it is. Sorry, lads. Yeah. Right. And these other ones are sort of charging us big interests on loans, paying 
Karen Brady a load of money and then saying to all of us like we're all idiots don't worry we're massive Amers fans come on you irons anything <laughs> come off it mate yeah and you know what I feel like it was a big opportunity to miss in the build up to the 10 year anniversary because David Gold spoke to um, TalkSport and Moose mm. and West Ham fans are always like Moose doesn't ask the proper questions we want to hear like Moose is always getting criticised by West Ham fans for yeah. asking the proper questions David yeah, because Sullivan. they think he's a club crony. <laughs> Sullivan spoke to Standard and West Ham Standard have to have a bit of a relationship. So it's like, so the point is like, we had an opportunity to display, okay, we're sorry this isn't going well. We're sorry about it isn't going well. Because during that whole week, in the interviews they gave, fans are like, we know this already. We know about the work in the community. We know about this and, this and signings, the investment on this, the investment on that. Like, we want, we want you to ask the proper questions. Like, how, where are we going to be in a few years' time? You have to ask the questions. That's it. Yeah. That, I mean, you don't have to agree with it. And I'm not, you know, and, and who knows? You know, I would love to hear Sullivan and Gold's side of the story. And we'd love to have them on this podcast, yeah. right? And we'd love to have Karen Brady on because I could be wrong in my assumptions, you know, but we would all like to, yeah. to, to hear them publicly yeah. go through these things yeah. one by one because that's the only way you've got any hope of soothing things and rebuilding a relationship with the fans. Because if a club's, if a club's owner's relationship, if it breaks down with the fans, you are in serious trouble. There's, yeah. there, there's no coming back from that. And I think the only hope they've got is to engage. And also after the um, Liverpool game last Tuesday, it was there was supposed to be a meeting with the board and supporters group and that was postponed to the end of the season. So again, we're frustrated by that. Mm. So yeah, there's a lack of communication, which is like the biggest frustration for supporters because obviously out of the three, we know that Karen Brady tends to engage in the media more through a column, yeah. a controversial column, I should say. Well, that's so. another thing. What You know, this is a woman who's, I can't remember what the latest account showed she got paid, but she's being paid above a million pound salary, right? And she's had a big pay rise. Um, I think year on year she gets pay rises, right? And so she certainly doesn't need the money or the distraction of a column in the sun in which she very often writes things that have a majorly negative impact on uh west on on west ham as a club we have you know to just give some examples she slagged off robert snodgrass when the poor bloke had arrived and been played out of position for a couple of months and she threw him under the bus by saying it was a waste of money and he was a bad player right uh, he, I would say, is one of the most popular players at the club, right? And fans not only think he's talented, but he's got about the best attitude you could see in a professional player, right? Then um, uh, she didn't she write comments about the the owners of Leicester yep. in a way that then prevented us um, prevented us from uh, signing the player. Leicester will no longer do business with us yep. because she had been too critical of the way in which their club was run, which is rich because I look at Leicester City and think I can only dream of West Ham one day being run anything like Leicester yeah. City. If yeah. we were run half as well as Leicester yeah. City, we'd be in a better situation. <laughs> or even Sheffield United. <laughs> I've, just, I've been handed some data here, um, so, some data by one of our team of researchers. West Ham United paid Baroness Brady 438 grand for consultancy work last season on top of her £898,000 salary, the club's annual accounts have revealed. Um, that is from a report in the Times from January 3rd. So there you go. I mean, ching, ching. You know, we could go into more detail here, but yeah, they paid Brady 365000 plus VAT. Okay, so they've reported the plus VAT figure, but whatever. Um, interesting that you would work for a... So you work... I mean, I'm very naive about the way in which these things work, but you get a job 
P-A-Y-E, salaried as the boss of a company, <laughs> right? But then you say to the company that you're the boss of, um, I could offer you a bit of freelance consultancy work on the side. <laughs> Are those negotiations done in a mirror? <laughs> Does Karen Brady go into her office at West Ham HQ, stand in front of the mirror and say, hi, I'm a football consultant and I would like to offer my management consultancy to your club. And then she says back to herself, well, that's good because I am the vice chairperson and day-to-day MD, if you will, of West Ham United Football Club. And I think you could really help us. How much would you co- would you cost? About 400 grand. Deal. <laughs> I mean, it's madness. And, oh, then they, and then they wonder, I mean, the club seem yeah. to be surprised and indignant that um, the media are covering this protest. Uh, why do you think that is? I mean, why, they might not like it, and no. I can see that. But no. why do they? Why are they? They seem to think it's not a legitimate protest. Well, obviously, right? it shines a bad light on the club, really. So yeah, the whole PR. Are. So that's why once it's happening, yeah. it's happening. You have yeah. to acknowledge it. Exactly, right? you have to cover it as well. And, and the feeling I got from Saturday is. There will be more protests. Like the momentum will get bigger. What three thousand fans will be on Saturday? There'll be what six thousand fans next time. So fans are like, listen, we're not going anywhere. We'll stay here for as long as we can until yeah. until we has until we act. And the atmosphere at the ground, in terms of getting behind the team, was one of the best it's been all season, right? And the thing is, right, for fans who are like, you know, get behind the team, stop protesting. I want to make the point about even at Liverpool, where there was a black balloon protest. The fans still got behind the team. Yeah. Saturday, protest built before the match. The fans still got behind the team. So it's having no impact whatsoever what's on the pitch. That's crucial, isn't it? That's absolutely crucial because then they, they would like to under, everyone would like to undermine this by saying that it's affecting the players. Yeah. But it's not because everyone's right behind the players. No one's complaining to Moyes. People, you know, some people have complained, moan about Moyes off air, but, well. you know, away from the stadium. But, I mean, that's just... You know, yeah. that's that's being a football manager. You're going to get criticised. Yeah. Um, do you feel that Moyes is? Do you feel that Moyes inherited a club that obviously wasn't in the best? That do you think he's finally? This is signs that he's, he's had his he's had enough time now to start pulling things together and getting his ideas across, as they say, and, and getting the players organised behind you know his strategy. Do you think that's what we're seeing here? Yeah, I believe so, and I feel like that's also partly down to the um, arrivals of Paul Nevlin and Kevin Nolan. Yeah, I've like, noticed like, because sometimes like when this game goes a bit quiet, I look at the touchline. I notice that between Kevin and Paul, Kevin quite often goes to the touchline, right? And gazes with Moyes and shouts and shocks into players. And yeah. um, for me, right, players will listen to Kevin because he's like he's been there, he's been through yeah. what they're going through. So like when he when he speaks, they'll listen. So that's the biggest takeaway I get from watching West Ham recently and like just observing how they are on the touchline. Yeah, and I feel like that's how the Big yeah, difference I, I was so pleased when we hired him because the same as when we got him in as captain, he was a yeah. player who West Ham fans had always disliked when he played for Bolton and yeah. for Newcastle. And but that was precisely why I thought it was such a great <laughs> signing <laughs> yeah. because he was a he was nasty, yeah. a good player, yeah. but he also had a nasty streak to him, yeah. and he had a huge personality, yeah. and it was just what West Ham needed because we'd just been relegated, and he led us back in the division. He led us really well for a couple of seasons in the Premier League as well, and that spirit is something that we have lacked. Yeah. And of course, he played alongside Mark Noble as well. So he's got that connection too. Yeah. Presumably there's a good relationship between him and Mark Noble, which can carry across into the squad. And you know what? After the uh, Man City game, you actually asked me, like, 
can Moyes turn it around? Is he still the right guy for West Ham? And I was like, keep the faith. Moyes, Moyes can do it. And that's for the simple reason why, you know, we mentioned Paul, Kevin. And I also feel like because Moyes was out of work for so long before coming back to West Ham, he has he, he has a point to prove. It didn't work out well for him at Man United, as we, as we all know. It didn't go to Planet Sunderland. It didn't work out well at Real Sociedad. So... This is pretty much the last chance to live for David Moyes. Yeah, but but your logic is weird there because I see what you're saying, but you could just as easily yeah. say, you're saying he's a good manager because he's done so badly at other clubs. Fair enough. I get what you're saying, but you could just easily say he's a bad manager because he's done bad at all those other clubs. You know, it's like you're saying that, yeah, the best person you can ever hire is someone who has made yeah. a mess of his last three yeah. jobs. Yeah. <laughs> But no, I get your point. And I like his attitude and his demeanour and the yeah. things he says. And, you know, we can't... The, the last two performances against Liverpool and Southampton have been absolutely fantastic. Yeah. And so we can't... Today, we're in no position to moan about Moyes or the team. Yeah. Every player's played well for the last two games, haven't they? Yep. And the best, the best figure is about the bottom three. Well, the, the bottom, bottom three. three. So that's a graphic. We're feeling confident about the results ahead. Before we wrap things up, let's talk about uh, we've got Arsenal on Saturday at their place. How do you see it? Again, I reckon it'll be a 2 1 win for us. Wow. I'm, I'm feeling confident about that game. I really am. I feel like Arsenal struggling at the minute, mm. especially when they got knocked out. The and I think also West Ham fans will play a role. We, when we go to Arsenal, it's a very quiet ground and our away support is very yep. noisy. And they were rocking at Anfield. Yeah. They were rocking at Anfield. Yeah, so. even more so at Arsenal. I think that that will create a, yeah. an atmosphere that I think, I don't know, those Arsenal. I don't think Arsenal like it up. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Their players, yeah. the squad, there's something about that club. Yeah. I think it's got a soft centre. Yeah. And uh, I think that we're going to Feel well, free to clip this out and send it back to me, Gunas, <laughs> on Sunday after you've battered us 5 0. Yeah. Well, they say West Ham fans moved from London, um, Upton Park, London Stadium, and like a bad move. Some Arsenal fans say we moved from the one library to another library. Yeah. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. So. yeah, yeah. It's poor. Um, okay, I'm going to agree with you there. I'm going to say 2 0 to West Ham. Um, we're going to improbably keep a clean sheet. Uh, so let's look forward to that. Remember to stay in touch with us. Uh, you Subscribe to the show. Uh, subscribe to The Athletic. And then you get this show without any ads and a load of other fantastic content, including Rashane's daily writings on the Hammers, uh, which are of a very high standard, which have seen him nominated for a prestigious journalism award. What award is it again? For uh, McCann Turner crashed his Lamborghini dressed as a snowman on yeah. Christmas Day. But what, but what are the awards? British Press Awards. Yeah, that's it. Right. That's what I was getting. Okay, <laughs> British Press Awards, right? Um, and it doesn't get better than that, yeah. right? Um, it's sort of like, what is it? The Oscars yeah. could refer to themselves as the British Press Awards of the movie industry. Yeah. Um, thanks, Rashane. You can tweet us as well, Rashane at Rashane Sport and me at Delaney Man. Uh, we will be back with a pod straight after the Arsenal game this coming Saturday. Until then, come on, your irons. And remember, there's only one Samasio Boo. boo.